This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Hello, welcome. Thank you for listening to the Best Friends Podcast. My name is John Dunn. Today is September the 1st of 2022, and that is an important day around here because today is the day that the Rachel Ray Save Them All grant cycle opens. Your organization can now submit your proposals. So this week, we're taking a look back at an episode that featured a previous grant recipient, Gateway Pet Guardians in East St. Louis, and their Unicorn Foster Program. We've got a lot of information about the Rachel Ray Save Them All grants, from what they are to who is eligible and what types of programs receive funding. You can find all of that information in the show notes area on your podcast player, and you can also find it on our website. Go to bestfriends.org podcast. Click the link for episode 126. Now, without further delay, here's a look back. Episode 68, Brittany Fleming was the guest with Gateway Pet Guardians talking about their amazing unicorn foster program. How did you end up here on a podcast, on this podcast, talking about unicorns and dogs and fostering? Um, I am a crazy dog lady, (laughs) without a doubt. I started a rescue about five years ago after my dog passed away. Um, she uh, She was everything to me, which I think a lot of people can relate to. That's why they get in this industry. But in honor of her, I decided to start trying to help dogs. And then once I started, I got addicted and just kept with it. About five years ago, I started as a part-time animal care. And then uh, four years ago, I became the shelter manager. And I've always had a passion for the dogs that have behavior issues. Primarily one, because I always felt like it was a challenge for me. And I like a challenge to try and figure out how I can get this dog better with people, you know, better with dogs, whatever. But also, I think I always could kind of relate to that. Um, You know, growing up, I had kind of a crazy life. So I think I was always kind of shunned out a lot by, you know, certain people or whatever. So I always understood kind of like how those dogs, just because one thing is going on in them, so many people will shut them out or in other rescues end up putting them down. And that always kind of broke my heart because I knew there was so much more to them. So I've always been very passionate in helping those that have more behavioral issues. So before we talk about the details of the Unicorn Foster Squad program, can we try to set a definition of what we mean by a behavior dog, dog with behavioral challenges, you know, in in this industry. And I feel like I've been seeing this a lot lately. You know, one person's red can be another person's blue. So might help if uh, we just kind of get on the same page here. Define behavior dog. Yeah, I definitely can vary place to place. Uh, For me, I would say someone, a dog that maybe has issues meeting new people, because that's the hardest to be able to get adopt to adopt out, because how are you going to get a dog that doesn't like people to win over a person? That's probably the hardest. Dogs that aren't good with other dogs, dogs that have separation anxiety, meaning they panic whenever you're not there. So those are the ones you see the horror stories where they broke out of the crate and chewed through the house wall to get outside, you know, things like that. Leash reactivity, which is where like the dog acts a fool when they're on a leash and it's embarrassing and people get, you know, frustrated and they don't know how to handle it and then they return them. So those are like, I think some of the biggest ones that we face as an obstacle. And I think that's pretty universal. Some places struggle a little bit more with like dog reactivity and kennels, but for me, that's just a kennel based environment. So if you get them out, a lot of those times, those issues aren't an issue anymore. 
So probably just those baselines. It's a struggle, I think, in every community. I mean, big dogs. If you ask people, you know, what what are we facing to get to No Kill 2025? Cats and big dogs. <laughs> and I, you know, I don't know what data is available actually out there in terms of big dogs specifically, but I, can you help shed some light on the scale of it, even just from your perspective? I don't know if it makes sense to do it in terms of intake, but is there a percentage of dogs, maybe 10% of dogs that come in or 50%, how many of the dogs that come in to Gateway Pet Guardians would you say are candidates for the unicorn program? Every year our intake is growing because we're operating better. So we're able to take in more. Uh, Last year, I think our intake was about 800, but this year I think we're probably going to at least double that based on our numbers right now. As far as unicorns, probably 20% could be classified as a unicorn, but I've always been very strategic about who actually goes to the program because we have to spend money for a trainer. But there's a lot of dogs that could go in for a wide variety of reasons. I just kind of gauge on how severe the issue is. And if it's a little bit more severe, then they're going to go on the program. And it's maybe 30, 40 dogs a year, I would say. So, uh, I mean, what is the Unicorn Foster Squad all about? So in 2019, we went down to Austin Pets Alive, their apprenticeships that they had. And during one of their apprenticeships, Monica with the feline masterclass, which seems weird because it was a feline class. She was telling me about how during their ringworm program, they made it cool for people to want to join. So people quit looking at it like it was this nasty fungus type thing. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. We don't really struggle with ringworm, but we have behavior dogs. So let's do it for the hard dogs. So that's kind of where it started. It was the idea that we should give all this extra support to those that take these harder dogs versus someone that's just going to take the four-month-old purebred dog because those aren't the people that need the support. Because I, personally, I've always fostered unicorns and I know how, how hard it can be, you know? It's very, very rewarding and you're doing a great thing, but it's it can be hard. So you need that extra support. So it's very focused on doing tons of things for the unicorn fosters. We do where they get a free t-shirt that has a pit bull on it with a unicorn horn. They get a free photo session with a photographer. They get a trainer that comes to them instead of them having to leave their house and come to us. They're a part of like a special Facebook group that's separate from our other Facebook group where they can vent about things. If they're struggling with their dog today, they can vent without feeling like someone's going to judge them for it, you know, or worry that their dog's going to get put down right away because of what they post. You know, it's, it's all about tons of support and what it essentially kind of happened and it wasn't I, I don't wouldn't say it was intentional in the beginning but it became like a cool kids club everyone like suddenly wanted to be in it and they were it was almost like kind of clicky in a way in, in a positive way where people were like oh I want a unicorn and it was like okay I'll give you one you know and a big part is anyone can join the program you know we don't have any barriers for adoption or fosters and that's a huge point of why this program works so well is because we are very open-minded about who can join it. We don't have this preconceived notion that someone has to have years and years of experience with dogs to be able to take a harder dog. That's not the case. You just educate them. I started off with a dog aggressive foster and I never had one. We don't wait for the unicorn foster to come to us. We create them within our foster base. So um, it's all about the support and training people to become a unicorn foster. You said there are no requirements. I always like to think of myself in these situations I know, Brittany, and I'm not joking, I know next to nothing about dog behavior. I have limited experience in even having dogs. So if I say, hey, Brittany, I'm ready to go from kitten foster to unicorn foster, would I qualify? Are there requirements at all? I mean, honestly, there really isn't. It's just about us placing the right dog with you because every dog is an individual. Every dog's going to have different quirks. Like in your instance, do you work from home right now? I do work from home. 
So if we have a dog that maybe has separation anxiety, but they're good with cats and dogs, that would be a unicorn that you could take. So it's really just about figuring out which dogs fit with what person. We might get like someone in their 70s that want to foster and so many people would think, oh, they could never take a hard dog. They could take separation anxiety, you know? I mean, they're usually good. Otherwise, it's just they panic when their people leave. If they're home all the time, that works. Um, same thing with like college kids. I think a lot of people think because they're young, they're dumb and, you know, they won't listen, but they're the best fosters because they're a blank slate. They do whatever you tell them. And uh, they're the best for taking dogs that aren't good with other dogs because they're not living at home. So they don't have dogs with them currently. So it really is. It's kind of just an open book. It's just about matchmaking you with the proper foster that will fit your lifestyle. So it kind of, it varies dog to dog. Are you finding that you're getting newer fosters from this? Is it working as or intended to be a recruitment tool or is the focus on taking existing foster parents, foster homes, and having them become the unicorn fosters? So um, we don't really, like in the beginning, we marketed to try and get specific unicorn fosters, but it wasn't, it didn't really go that well, because I think people just don't really know what that means. So what we did instead is we just recruit for fosters in general, and then we just kind of convert them over. So we have, gosh, I'd have to go back maybe 70 80 people that have been unicorn fosters. I think a lot of them are brand new, to be honest with you. And we just kind of were like, hey, this is what's going on with this dog. You're going to be part of this special program so you can get these extra resources. And they're like, okay, you know, all right, fine, let's do it. We just do a lot of coaching and don't make it sound so scary because it's not scary all the time. You know, we're not those dogs that if the dog is truly dangerous, you know, we're not adopting them out and we're not going to send them to a foster. So, you know, it's just being very open-minded and giving these animals a shot and the fosters a shot to be able to show they can succeed. So when I started doing research for the episode, learning more about the program, the marketing, I mean, this part, it's so great, beautiful graphics. You've got big blocky headed dogs and, you know, wearing unicorn horns and rainbows and glitter. I mean, it's just super fun, eye-catching stuff. And my initial thought was, oh, the dogs are unicorns. They're wearing a horn. They're special. Uh, and that's why we're calling them that, you know, really just to I guess, grab attention, but really the unicorn is the foster parent. Like you're seeking unicorns, people who have specific life circumstances, no kids, no animals at home. So yeah, the person is the unicorn. In the rescue field, the term unicorn has always been someone that doesn't have, like for a person that doesn't have uh, any kids, dogs, or people that come over very often or cats. But I wanted to convert it into the dogs because I think it sounds nice. It sounds fun. And uh, it's, there's so many unicorns right now. If you go to the store, you see unicorns everywhere. So it's good for a marketing perspective. So I turned that into the dogs. It's a little different, but it's about strategic placement, I would say. You know, we look through and comb through our foster apps and kind of see who will work. But in general, it really isn't that hard. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but it really isn't. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take that much work. Like we just kind of, we just, I wish I could show you this email from this girl just yesterday. Um, she's a brand new foster and we have this dog who's not the best with dogs. And he bit one person when he was adopted and then he got returned, not because of that, because the person's getting deployed. And I explained to her the situation, you know, like he doesn't like to be pet right away, go slow with them. You know, this person immediately tried petting him and he snapped at him because he didn't have time to growl or anything like that. And uh, she's like, okay, you know, it's, if you really give context to these issues, I, I don't think it sounds as scary as it is. And we give them the solution on how to handle it, which was if he's meeting new people, go slow, let him come to you versus you going to them. And she felt like that was enough for her to feel like she could manage it. I mean, that it was as simple as that. And it usually is, you know, I really don't ever have to really like hardcore push 
except for maybe some of the dogs that have like more intense stranger danger. But for those, I kind of have like a select group of fosters that I know that will trust me and they're continually try those dogs. So I usually go to them first, but sometimes, you know, it's just the person just is willing to give it a shot because they know they're coming into a rescue to be able to help. You know, it's just, that's what it comes down to. I know it sounds crazy, but it's, it really is. It's not that hard for us. This is impossible to, to quantify or try to define, I imagine, because we know every dog is different every person, every situation, but the process of this, knowing that it's fluid, what are the goals? Is there a timeline goal? Walk me through that. I mean, obviously I imagine the goal is ultimately an adoptive home. Oh yes, absolutely. And I always like, very rarely do we take a dog offline for behavior reasons, unless there's like a possibility that that behavior dog might end up being euthanized for aggression issues. Usually they start, stay online the entire time and I, we still market them for adoption because while we're doing those training sessions for the fosters, I also want to convert that over to the adopters because they're the ones that are going to keep them. Um, and that's actually acts as a really great assist, incentive for the adopters to take them because they're like, oh, well, if I struggle, I have all these training sessions that I can use. But back to your question, we get the dog in they might show some behaviors they might not i kind of assess them get an idea i also do the placement of the animals so then i send out email weekly trying to find fosters for the dogs and i just hustle as hard as i can because i do not want them there because i used to be the shelter manager so i know how much they hate being at the shelter and i just i stress myself out about it but i do whatever i can to get them out and then maybe if they didn't have behavior issues at first the foster might later come back to me saying issue, having issues. And I'm like, okay, let's put them in the unicorn program. You'll get all these fun perks and we'll get a trainer out to you. And they're like, okay. Now, if they were having issues at the shelter, if someone is interested in fostering, um, we do a ton of no barriers. Like that's, that is the backbone of this program because if we had all these barriers in place, we would not be able to do what we do uh, with these dogs. So that means on the foster applications, we have very basic questions. We don't want to have any barriers in that. Once I kind of, tell them about the issues. I give tons of context. I tell them exactly how to handle it and manage it. And that helps people feel, I think, feel supported through it. And then they take the dogs and then we get the trainer out there and the trainer is a big support piece. We could do the training ourselves. I just don't have the time. So we contract that out. That's been very important to pick the right trainers because the trainer also kind of has to make them feel emotionally supported, you know, throughout the process. And that is part of the trainer's job. And then they work on some of those behavior issues to see if they can get better, see if there's better ways to manage it. And then as they get adoption interest, those fosters carry that over to the adopters and tell those things. And then we can also send the trainer over to the doctor to help feel like they can handle those things as well. And, you know, it, it kind of varies on time. We used to have dogs with us for like three years. And now, I mean, many of them get adopted within a couple months, which blows my mind. Um, but it's just about not having barriers for fostering and mark and adopting and just being open-minded about who can take these dogs. I mean, last episode we did on adoptions, adopters, and the myriad barriers we put up we collectively, animal welfare, I think there will be people listening to this who are just saying to themselves, nope, nope, red flag, nope. But back to, you know, every animal and every person being an individual, I think we need to find ways that we're opening doors. We're not just shutting doors before we even know what's going on the other side, you know? I know. It's just, it's like, if there's one thing I could change in the industry, it's just people to be more open-minded because it just makes me sad when there's 
dogs down in the south that are dying because of space and you're over here being selective on who can take this dog from you like get them adopted so you can help elsewhere there's too many dogs still dying you know for you to be so closed-minded about who can take them you know don't make it hard for people to help well how many unicorn fosters have you had in the program so far i would say we've had probably about 60 dogs in the program and then maybe about the fosters i would say i would guess maybe it's like 45 because some of the people are taking new dogs. So I would say it's about 45 people. Obviously, a huge piece of this is training. You kind of touched on this earlier, but you know, supporting the foster parents with this element, good trainers, not always falling from the sky, ready to help shelter pets, are they? So, I mean, how is that part working? I imagine you're paying them. What are the requirements you have for the trainers? So it's very important whenever you're looking for trainers to know what their method are. Um, there's like the alpha method, which I am not about. We um, either go for like a blended or someone that's positive only. We do either of those things. So it's um, a lot of word of mouth. And I think the thing about the money part is one, they'll give us a discount. But so many times, like we send the trainer out and the person's like, okay, that's all I need. And we only pay for one session and that's good enough. And many times when we tell the doctor they can have the trainers if they need it, they never do because they feel like they can handle it. Just having that knowledge that they can have that it helps with the adoption, but we end up not spending a lot of money. I was actually running the data for how much we spend on training versus we did four years ago, and it's less. We spend less money on training, which blows my mind. And I think it's just because we're more, we keep, I, I don't know. I think we're just more strategic about it all together. I know I'm giving a lot of advice and I have people on my volunteers that are on part of my team that help give a lot of advice to fosters. So it doesn't have to go through the trainers, but it runs really smoothly. Like, I know that sounds crazy, but it, it does. Like, it's not that hard of a program for us. I don't know. I, it just blows my mind. But as far as trainers, you know, I think it's just use what works for your organization. Just don't use an alpha-based trainer because that's going to make your dogs worse. So this is not only a gateway pet guardians program, I understand, but this is something that you're actively working with other communities, shelters, organizations to implement. Tell me about the, the boot camp. So um, the Rachel Ray grant with their best friends help fund us to teach it across the country. So we're doing two cohorts. The first cohort accepted 20 applications and the other ones could accept 20 applications. But we're basically, it's an intense eight week, all virtual course that goes over everything, not just unicorns. It goes over our foster and adoption policies, which help build this into the program. It goes over our euthanasia policies, because that's very important to have whenever you're taking on harder dogs. It goes into our marketing, how to raise money for the program. So it's very intensive, but it gives everything away. And so far it's been really good. Um, we had one person already get their unicorn adopted because she just, she took some of the unicorn stuff and did a fun photo shoot. And that works. Our goal is to help a lot of people to get their unicorns adopted and teach them how to be able to do this large scale. Cause no one wants to put the dog down that is barking on leash and then they're cuddly with you all, all day long. So I'm, I'm, I hope to really help the other organizations throughout the nation and try and get it better for them. Listen, if nothing else, I hope we all walk away from this realizing the power of a free t-shirt. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think it only costs like seven bucks for us, but yeah, I, the shirts are really fun. It's literally just a unicorn with a horn on it, but everyone loves it. During one of the photo shoots, everybody in the foster family wore theirs and it was so cute, even the guys. So yeah, yeah. The t-shirts are great. So for people that want to do this in their community, Brittany, they want to attend a boot camp. What does that entail? You know, when are they happening? How do they get involved? Um, so there's a link that I can give you that they can apply for. But yeah, it's just we're going to finish out this one for we're in week three. So it ends about the end of July and then the next one starts 
I think it's beginning of October um, and ends right at the end of December. So I'll give you the link on how they can sign up. But we're hoping that, you know, all the data looks good when we're done. You know, we collect data on based on everything to be able to show these programs work. That's how we show the unicorn program was working in the first place. But we hope to be able to keep doing this next year and the following year, because I think as, and I think this is a common theme, we're going to rescue ourselves out of this over dog, dog population in the next couple of five years, we're not going to have all these dogs at the shelters down south because we're being more productive about moving them. So what are we going to be left with? We're going to be left with a lot of behavior dogs and people aren't going to know what to do with them. So programs like this are going to be very important so people can figure out how to still help save dogs safely, um, but without just euthanizing them based on, you know, issues that could be resolved in a foster or adoptive home. Brittany, I love this program. It's fun. It's cute, obviously. And you know, a great way to address one of the most difficult challenges we have facing us across the country. And, you know, for people to implement it, I mean, just think, you get to look someone, another human person square in the eyes and call them a unicorn. Yeah, right. <laughs> As one of my unicorn adopters have said, which I, I love her quote, is this dog has more love to give than any of the behavior challenges that they give me. So, and I felt like that sums up every single unicorn that we have. And that was her first dog she ever adopted too. So I like to point that out, but yeah, you know, these dogs deserve a chance and let's give it to them. You know, let's not just pass them up because on paper they sound bad. You know, let's, let's actually meet these dogs and get to know them and give them a fair shot at having a successful life outside of a shelter. Thank you to Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, Kim Clonch, Tawny Hammond, and Mark Peralta for helping to produce this program. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast. <laughs>